0: All right, guys, so we're in a mini-series in the book of Romans, Romans 12 through 15, called Relate. That's kind of a, a, a mini-series within a broader series in the book of Romans called Gospel Depth. And, um, and, and so what we've seen so far uh, in this portion of Romans, we've unpacked the idea that in the New Testament, the dominant metaphor for the church is that of family or households. Now there are as many experiences with both the concept of family and the concept of church as there are people. Some people have had no experience with church, a terrible experience with church, a beautiful experience with church, or a little bit of both. Because again, churches are made up and families are made up of um, broken people who are being um, redeemed. And so we said, it's not enough to just be, for a church to be a family. Like what kind of family are we talking about? Because no one's one's like in the market for a second dysfunctional family. So he said, We're not looking for perfection, but we're looking for health. And in this portion of Romans, Paul's laying out, here's what a healthy church family looks like. So again, Romans 12 through 15, it it dives into what characteristics the church, the family of God, should have if they're healthy. It's, It's like we're agreeing on what we're pursuing, even if we're not that perfectly. And so uh, in Romans 1 through 11, Paul laid out, here's how you've become family through what Jesus did for you in the gospel. But now you've got all this family out of nowhere, and how do you relate to them? And so two weeks ago, we looked at this idea. So we've been looking at different characteristics each week. Two weeks ago, we looked at this idea of patience. Patience for ourselves and one another as we're learning to love one another and as we're changing in messy, painful, slow ways. Last week, I taught, I taught the first half of Romans 12, verse 13, on this idea of generosity, that as a family, we share our stuff with one another. And it's not socialism or communism where you're forced to share everything. It's a healthy, interdependent family where we do our best to meet each other's needs. And next week, I'll be teaching Romans twelve fourteen on another characteristic of God's family that's widely misunderstood in our cultural moment, the concept of empathy. No one really knows what empathy is in a healthy way anymore. But today, I'm gonna to finish teaching Romans 12:13, specifically the second half of the verse, talk about a different characteristic of God's family: hospitality. And so again, according to Romans 12, what are some characteristics that distinguish the church from the culture around it? Patience, generosity, empathy, and today, hospitality. So let's read today's text, Romans chapter 12, verse 13. It's one verse. Guys, really, we're doing two words. This should be shorter, okay? Pray for that. feels good. Romans 12, 13, it says, share with the saints in their needs. Did a whole sermon on that last week. And then today's part was zooming in on pursue hospitality. Pursue hospitality. And the Greek word there for pursue is like practice. It's even translated that way sometimes. It's like give give a hard, uh, give a strong effort to get better at this. So think like, um, practicing a sport or an instrument or a skill. Um, but either way, to pursue or practice something, you have to know what it is. Okay? Now, can you guys imagine if I hit you guys up? I'm like, guys, three weeks from now, New Year, we're doing a big church social. Uh, we're going to play a big game, big game of boussé ball. And I invite you to come out and play. How many of you guys would come? How many of you guys would be psyched to play boussé ball? What, what? <laughs> no, again, I'm asking you, do you want to play buce ball? Right, how would you prepare for that game? Guys, what, cl- what clothes do you normally wear when you play buce ball? What equipment would you bring? Where would you practice? How many people would you need you know, t- t- to bring out? And again, you probably wouldn't be able to practice buce ball or know how to prepare because you don't know what buce ball is. Because it's an obscure sport you've never pro- you probably never heard of, unless you got some Belgian people in the house. Boussé ball, I'm not Belgian, by the way. I feel like maybe some of you guys are, but it's, de- it's definitely not me. Boussé ball is originally from Belgium. It's something like volleyball, this is the d- real definition, except the ball can be kept in the air with any part of the body and can be hit up to eight times by one team. With one giant trampoline on which stands an attacker. The attacker's propelled in the air and has the ability to deliver vicious shots. One point is awarded if the ball hits the ground anywhere besides the trampoline, in which case three points are given to the opposing team. Sounds fun. Either way, until you knew what sport I was talking about, you didn't really know if it was for you or not. It could have been like basketball, could have been like baseball, could have been like ping pong. You couldn't practice it, and you couldn't pursue a game somewhere because you wouldn't know what you were looking for. Now, uh, you might even assume... Uh, when I said buseball, ball, uh, I was saying baseball with like an offensive Italian accent, like buse ball, baseball, <laughs> right? You're like, oh, I think I know what he's trying to say here, right? Might show up with some baseball equipment, like I know what bisball is, right? Again, in the same way, we cannot pursue a practice until we understand what it really is or what it isn't. Um, again, a lot of things look like hospitality at first glance, but actually are something altogether. So you can't practice something if you don't know what it is, and you can't practice something if you think it's something it's not. And so that kind of leads us to, to what I want to get into today, which is hospitality. Uh, and and here's, here's my outline, all right? It's, it, what, it's what hospitality isn't. It's what hospitality is. It's why hospitality is more important than ever and how hospitality is possible. Again, what hospitality isn't. What hospitality is? Why hospitality is more important than ever, and how hospitality is possible. Number one, what hospitality isn't? It isn't just for extroverts, right? I know I'm going to get a very muffled uh, like excitement here, but how many introverts in the house? Just do a slow hand raise. Keep it you're right. How many guys you hear uh, you hear hospitality? You're like, yes, finally. But it's not just for extroverts. Hebrews thirteen two says, "Don't neglect to show." Hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Right? It's a lot of weird charismatic churches that are like, We're gonna do everything we can to get an angel in the room, wild stuff, speaking, you know, whatever. Uh, He's like, Dude, practice hospitality. You want an angel? Welcome people. Uh, The author of Hebrews does not give an out to introverts here, he says it's for everybody. But introverts. But it's interesting, relax, the author of Hebrews isn't calling you to to do something completely opposite to your personality, because being hospitable is not about being loud or outgoing, okay? Or like I asked a group of friends recently, they know who they are, I said, what's some words that would describe me? And one person said, man, I think spastic, I think you're spastic, right? Uh, He's not, which I think is true, it's fair, Uh, at times. He's not asking you to become spastic or loud or, or crazy or wild or crazy in the outgoing fun sense just to be clear sorry trying to get better with that word um the text says hospitality is about something else not about a personality it's about welcoming and so here's the thing um you can be loud and real unwelcoming you can be energized by people and be really unwelcoming you can not be energized by people and be very welcoming uh jeremy zimmerman ali shingle uh, campbell shingle uh, not loud very welcoming Paul Pham and Veronica Molina, little louder. Very welcoming, very welcoming. So, the hospitable life is about character, not a personality type. It's a view of the world that sees um, strangers, as uh, Rosario Butterfield uh, talks about, we'll talk about it in a second, uh, an author who wrote a book on hospitality. You see strangers as potential um, friends and friends as potential family. She says that she says knowing your personality and your sensitivities does not excuse you from ministry. It means that you might need to prepare for it differently than others might. Uh, so, so it's not for extroverts uh, alone. It's also not entertaining people you like or who you want to impress. Hospitality is not entertaining people you like or want to impress. It's not about impressing people with how good of food you make or how fancy of, of, of like how fancy of a wine you have. Uh, by the way, I am down with fancy food and fancy wine. All right. That's beautiful. It's lovely. It's just not what the Bible refers to as hospitality. It could be, but hospitality is more about a who and a why than a what. So we'll get into. It's not bad to make delicious food, okay? It's just not exactly what hospitality is. So in other words, when you think hospitality, uh, don't think Martha Stewart. Think Jesus. Think Jesus. Entertaining is a level of performance connected to it, which is why uh, people think to be, hospitality, to be hospitable means uh, you have to have a perfect house. It's got a perfect layout. It's, it's spotless. You have to pretend like you don't have children. That's not it, man. Hospitality is not like it's staged like you're trying to sell it. It's a real house with real people, and you're welcoming real people into a life with other real people. Uh, it's also not about wowing people with how kind of how just how dope your house is generally. Again, Jesus is the most hospitable person who has ever lived. He did not have a house. Kind of wild thing about Jesus—he threw parties at other people's houses. He does it like three times in the Gospels. He's like, "Dude, you just got saved. We should throw a party right now." They're like, it's the least we can do, Jesus. <laughs> Something I've heard over the years is people say things like, "We want a bigger house so we can be hospitable." You need to know that's not an accurate statement. I get the heart behind it, right? But, but there's this lie that's like, we're called to, us, uh, um, uh, we might be able to show more hospitality at the same time with a larger house, but anyone can show hospitality with any size space. Does that make sense? So important. I've seen this in the townships in South Africa. People with houses that are not very big stoked to host you and love you and bless you. So you go, man, I wish I had a bigger house to be hospitable. we got to be careful with that. Because otherwise we'd tell you, hey guys, uh, you weren't really hospitable. Thanks guys, but when you get a bigger house, let me know. No, we know that's not true, right? None of us would say that. Again, what do you do with the space you have? I will say this, if you never welcome people into a small home, you won't, you won't welcome them to a big home. You won't welcome them into a big home. Again, the the, the quantity of who can show up is, is, is true. There's more of that at a larger house. But the quality of hospitality, again, comes down to your heart and your character, not the size of the house. All right? So, so it's not entertaining. Um, it, it's not for extroverts only. It's also not hanging out with people who are just like you, right? Um, um, people with the same food preferences, music preferences, kind of fashion, personal style, people of the same race or ethnicity, people of roughly the same socioeconomic status, people of the same faith beliefs, people of the same political party. That's not biblical hospitality. In Luke chapter 14, we'll read from the message, because it's just fun. It says, then he turned to the host. It's a paraphrase, not a translation. I know, I know. It's a Bible college. It says, then he turned to the host, and he said, the next time you put on a dinner, okay? Um, other translations say, when you put on a dinner, or when you host a banquet, or when you throw a party, uh, translation says. It says, when you do this. Now, I know with the Sermon on the Mount, it says, like, when you fast. Preachers do this all the time. It doesn't say, if you fast. It says, when you fast. You're like, oh, dang. It doesn't say, if you give. It says, when you give. Jesus is also like, hey, when you party, this is how to do it. He says, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out. The misfits from the wrong side of the tracks, you'll be an experience of blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. And we know because of a broader context, Jesus isn't saying you can't ever invite your family over. He's just saying, to be a fo- that's not unique, though. To be a, What's unique about a follower of Jesus is you invite people over who can't do anything for you. So you don't happen to just have the same things in common with. Who don't make you feel good about yourself all the time. Uh, again, also, I, I, this is, this is hit in a couple places, but, but it's not really hosting Christians, there could be a little bit of a debate about this, but primarily it's about people who are not yet followers of Jesus. Most scholars say Romans twelve thirteen, the command's broken up into two. There's generosity to the church, meeting the needs of the saints. Doesn't mean you can't meet the needs of people who aren't saints. Uh, but then it says to um, to practice hospitality, and in its context, as we're we'll going to do in a second, hospitality is about others or strangers. And so we befriend people who don't want to be our friends, or who our cultural moment says can't be friends. Depending on who you are, who your friends are, what's happening on social media, in your friend groups, your office, there are certain people you're technically not supposed to be friends with right now. Depending on what tribe you're in, it's really defined. The more into politics you are on either side, it's really defined. But Jesus doesn't care about your lines. He loves to make, fr- he likes to make enemies friends. He likes to make enemies family. That's what the gospel does. It says we were the enemies of God and he brought us near an example of this, uh, well-known one, is uh, Rosario Butterfield. She was a lesbian women's studies professor at Syracuse University. Uh, she, wrote a book, she wrote a book that's really, really good called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Probably the best book on hospitality that to be read at a popular level. And, um, like, not a, uh, whatever, not like a, a commentary. Um, but she wrote another book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And she described how she became a follower of Jesus. And she said this, The word Jesus, she said this about Jesus and Christians uh, prior to her hospitality encounter. The word Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk. No matter how hard I choked, I couldn't hack it out. Those who professed the name commanded my pity and wrath. As a university professor, I tired of students who seemed to believe that knowing Jesus meant knowing little else. Christians in particular were bad readers, always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into a conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark. To end it rather than deepen it? Stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a shampoo, shampoo commercial model. So she began researching uh, the American Evangelical Church and their treatment of the LGBTQ plus community. And she realized she'd have to read the Bible to see where they got their ideas from. And as part of that process, in 1997, uh, she wrote a scathing article in a New York newspaper uh, about a, Christians men's, a Christian men's conference. So she puts it out there. Her name's on it. She's a professor. You can get a hold of her if you want to. And someone did try to get a hold of her. She got a, a letter that she described as kind and inquiring. Like someone was curious about her. And the person who was curious about her was a local pastor named Ken. And this is the eventual result of that letter. She says, with the letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. Oh, I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches. The Christians who mocked me on gay, gay pride day were happy that I and everyone I loved or going to hell was clear as blue sky. That is not what Ken did. He did not mock, he engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner at his house, I accepted. My motives at the time were straightforward. Surely this will be good research. Something else happened. Ken and his wife, Floyd, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sex and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I've never heard before. His prayers were intimate and vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy, yet full of mercy. It felt safe to be their friends. I continued reading the Bible, all the while fighting the idea that it was inspired, but the Bible got to be bigger inside me than I it overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might. Then one Sunday morning, I rose from the bed of my lesbian lover and an hour later sat in a pew at the rather traditional Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. Then one ordinary day, I came to Jesus, open-handed, naked, and vulnerable. And the world worldviews, I guess you could say Ken won. But Ken was there. Floyd was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed. I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I thought I loved, but the voice of Jesus sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my worlds. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death and the resurrection, he could make right my messy worlds. She eventually became, became a Christian. She's doing a lot of amazing wild stuff these days. But I just want you to catch that uh, Ken, like he wasn't scared of her in a culture that says, you guys shouldn't go to dinner. And she wasn't scared to come over either. I mean, maybe she was, but, but she did it. Does that make sense? And then something happened. Uh, the Pharisees believed that to spend time with sinners would make them unholy. See, it's all throughout the Gospels. Jesus believed he could bring his holiness and love and push it out into a broken world. Like he would change the dynamic of the room through his love, not that he got swept up in the dynamic of the room. He didn't take on the anxiety and the insecurity and the fear and the anger and the sin and the temptation. He doesn't take that on. He pushes out beauty and love and truth and grace and non-anxious presence and kindness and on and on it goes. And so hospitality is not just um, hanging out with people who are like you, people that, that, that like you and you like them or, or that agree with you on everything. Hospitality is also not just an event. Hospitality is a way of life. Again, hospitality is a, a heart posture and an approach to life. Hear me, please. It's not adding a bunch of things to the calendar. It's adding people to the things already on the calendar. And you have no idea how much that means to people. Uh, the last thing hospitality isn't is an obligation, an obligation. Um, don't invite people to come over when you don't really want them around. Uh, they're going to they're gonna feel that. They're going to experience that. First um, uh, Peter 4.9 says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. <laughs> if You're going to complain. You need to get your heart right. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about hosting anything right now. Uh, not complaining is key. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced the joy of someone serving you as an act of love and generosity and service, where there's truly no strings attached, and there's truly just, man, they dig me, they love me, they care about me. But we've also probably experienced that awkward, impossible situation of someone offering something and then making you feel guilty or obligated to them when they do it for you. I guess, I mean, I can't, I guess, Right. A friend of mine uh, got invited over, um, the friend, uh, whatever, the, the friend got invited over by someone who invited them over, over, and over, and over again, and and, and that friend is, is not a part of this church, was never part of this church, so this isn't like a, you know, like, who is it, it's it's no one you know, but a friend just like, kind of, um, just kept going, hey, hey, you gonna come over, you gonna come over, you gonna come over, you gonna come over, and then finally my friend was like, yeah, I'll come over, and she came over, And um, and then she ended up complaining, to my friend uh, over and over and over again about how hard it was for her and uh, why would she make her do this? And, uh, and after the fact, she's like, man, I'm working so hard. You don't even know my schedule. And my friend was like, you're the one that offered. Why did you, I, I, I wasn't kicking in the door going, feed me. But here's the thing. She wasn't interested in hospitality. She was in, in, interested in impressing and performing for my friends. Well, she was too tired to do it, but she didn't want to, she, she didn't want to do it fail. She didn't want to admit she couldn't do something. So she pushed herself through it for entirely the wrong motives, and it, it, it was felt. To the point where someone asked, hey, is, is, is everything okay? So if you're in this mindset, again, uh, that you need to perform, or you're just doing it because you've been told to, then ask God for a welcoming heart. And think through a way that makes sense for you to be hospitable in this season. And so hospitality isn't just for extroverts. It isn't entertaining with fancy food or nice houses. It isn't trying to impress people who are just like you, and it isn't joyless obligation. Uh, Then what is it? (laughs) Uh, What hospitality is? Uh, My wife, Jackie, preached on hospitality a few years ago and came up with an amazing definition I'm going to use here. All right, Jackie said, uh, it's opening your home and your life to others so they may experience Jesus's grace and welcome. It's opening your home and your life. I want you to catch that. It's creating space in your life. To others, so they may experience Jesus' grace and welcome. Um, Now, others um, here—the idea that's connected to others isn't just other. It's a better word here is is "strangers." Uh, The the phrase that's translated as hospitality in uh, English—it literally means love of strangers. And when you read it that way, in that literal context, you're you're very clear pretty quickly. Oh, it's not just a dinner party; it's a a love of strangers. You, You you love and welcome strangers um hospitality is the exact opposite of hatred of strangers or um suspicion towards strangers people that are different than you we live in a culture where everyone seems to be afraid of everyone who's different than them but it's strangers it's people that believe different things than you that look different than you that have different stories than you have The church should be a diverse space with people with different stories come together. Strangers are a type of other, but stranger implies they're different or strange to you. That's literally like where we get the word from. Like, is strange. You're, you're removed from me. Strange, you're, you're removed from me in the, in the sense that you're different. So I don't think entertaining people at dinner parties. Think creating safe space for people different than me to encounter Jesus's Uh, Jesus through me. It's creating space for people different than me to encounter Jesus through me. It's creating space in my life, my home, my calendar, or even my church. Which leads to point number three, why hospitality is more important than ever. And I feel like this specific point, man, it has been marinating in my heart and mind for probably close to a year and really strongly in the last four months. Um, Here's what I want to say. In a polarized culture, I don't know if you've noticed this, disagreements get real hot over social media. I mean, people jump in, don't even know the people involved. It gets crazy. They cool way down in face-to-face meetings. I deal with dozens of pastors. The amount of times they have said, man, someone sent me the craziest email, wildest email. Oh, man, I'm working on it. An email that just wasn't rational. It didn't make sense based on the circumstances, the facts, and all that. And that's okay that that was perspective, but I wish they would have talked to me and they said, then when we get coffee, it's like a completely different person. And so we go, man, well, it's easy to be brave behind a keyboard. It's like, yeah, but also it's just easier to villainize behind a keyboard and forget you're dealing with a human being made in the image of God. If you're a Christian, who's supposed to be your brother or sister. Even families, right, it gets wild on text. The text thread about Thanksgiving At Thanksgiving, usually, most of the time, it's cooling down a bit. And so, um, you guys have to know that there's a view of the church, and there's a view of Jesus that our culture is perpetuating, that you and I don't really have much of a say in, the the broad stereotype. Again, one of the things that makes me angriest and sad as a pastor and as a Christian is how the press always picks the worst representations of Christianity, and has them on a 24-7 news cycle. Does that make sense? Uh, Progressive media makes us look full of hate and ignorance. Uh, They they never have Tim Keller on CNN. You know the interview? The guy who screams at people for wearing a mask at his church. Like that's a mainstream pastor. It's not. I hate to break it to you guys. Even in the wildest of churches, that's not going on everywhere. They don't have on, you know, N.T. Wright and D.A. Carson and like kind, humble, gentle, brilliant people. Uh, they have on people that they know look ridiculous. On the flip side, conservative media puts on people they think are good, who are definitely conservative, but very likely are not followers of Jesus, while saying they are. Have you seen these people? It's like Christian nationalists, maybe. Disciple of Jesus, probably not. At least from the way they're talking about and to other people on the show. People who are, people who are bold, Right? Uh, And by bold, you mean someone who's mean and misinformed. That's usually what bold is, the conservative uh, media sphere. They interview people who don't exhibit the fruit of the spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, or self-control. But who have a conservative talking point and go, Jesus will be down with this. Again, we should have convictions. Our culture should mock some of our convictions, but they shouldn't mock the way we treat people. And the stuff that I see get put on TV is, is absurd, man. But here's what I want you to catch, though. As frustrating and as heartbreaking as it is to be misrepresented by the right or stereotyped by the left, we can decide to represent the church, to represent Jesus ourselves in relationships with real people. It's a crazy idea. With real people. Again, I can villainize or stereotype a caricature on TV, but I lose my categories when I experience a brilliant, loving follower of Jesus. Does that make sense? Um, They'll start thinking things like, man, okay, they don't, I don't know who they voted for, but they definitely don't worship at the altar of Donald Trump. They're not screaming at me. Uh, They don't seem to hate gay people. Uh, They seem to be really kind. Uh, Actually, I'm pretty positive we do disagree on politics and theology, but I'm also really convinced they love me a lot, and they like me, and they care about me. They definitely, they're definitely have landed on their positions through thoughtful uh, inquiry. Uh, they've engaged scholarship. They've, sought, they've, they've thought their faith through, and they're still a Christian. I, don't, I didn't think I had a category for this. Again, our culture may increasingly think, you know, Christians are self-righteous or stupid, and they might not stop thinking that anytime soon. However, we have the opportunity through hospitality to let people in close to our lives to show them there's a different way. Which, by the way, is challenging because you have to actually love Jesus and people. <laughs> Does that make sense? Again, for, for true, false, Jesus, this is amazing stuff. But hospitality is about welcoming people into the family of God. Um, I was thinking about this idea of welcoming family in. And I, I thought back to the time um, before, right before Olivia was born. And, and I remembered how we had to get like, the boys ready for that dynamic and Jackie's kind of a pro with this kind of thing. She had she had a couple of different things she was doing, uh, but she kept saying, "Hey, she is with us. She's she's not just you know mommy and daddy's daughter, but she's your sister. She's your sister. She's your sister." And uh, and, and the day Liv was born, she had them all wear she had them wear these two shirts, and uh, and when they got there, Olivia was wearing the matching shirt, and she knew like, okay, we're on a team. We got the same jerseys, okay. We're in this together. And, and they also knew, hey, we're preparing this room and we're, and we're putting a crib in and we're painting and we're making it easy for a baby. You guys might not need this because you're not babies, but a baby needs these things. And even though it's inconvenient to have a room that used to be used for other things and could be used for another thing, like a great office for me or a playroom for the boys, we have a yard. We go, this is important. We, gotta, we have to prepare to make space for someone who's different than us, but who we want to join our family. And it took thoughtfulness and preparation, and we we prayed for her consistently at dinner with them. We said, praying for baby Olivia, she's coming. And all along the way, they knew this is what's happening. We're going to have to sacrifice to make space for this new person. Hospitality requires preparation of our heart and our minds, but also a sacrifice. It is less convenient than just doing your own thing. True hospitality is a sacrifice for for, for the benefit of others. It's not a way to hold something over their head or gain social standing. And so what I want to ask ask is this, is are we making it easy to welcome people into our individual lives and the life of the church? Again, I think this is really important right now. It's the way to to, to show that that Jesus does make a difference. Um, A couple different things I thought just practically – um, and, uh, this morning we definitely did it, and, I, and I'm not calling anyone out in particular, okay? But I want you to imagine it's your first Sunday at Restore Church Uptown. Maybe it was, don't raise your, if it is, uh, just want you to know I'm here for you. It's your first Sunday, you walk up, and the gatherings to start at 10 o'clock, you walk in, and there's technically people on stage at 10, uh, but no one is in the room, right? And let's just say, because you just assume, you know, this is how life works. Let's just say you're at 9.50 because you're, you're expecting to start at 10, right? Like, you know, you've, you've never been to church maybe? Or you're like, man, I don't think they have previews at church like the movies. Like, I think we've got to get there right at 10 uh, generally. Does that make sense? And you come, and, and this room is empty. It's 10.02. There's four people here. They're amazing people. There's four in here. Everyone out there is talking. Uh, they seem to be really into each other, but not really into you as a new person. Now, the assumption would be, I think, would be pretty quick. Like, I don't know that I'm – wanted here. No one has said that with their mouth, right? Who, who here would say that? I don't want anyone new here. Right, if, you raise your, take a, if you raise your hand, it's going to get weird, I guess. Don't do that, right? We're, like, we're not going to explicitly say that, but implicitly through the vibe and the setup, we're, we're communicating, hey, like, we don't really care if you're new. Um, d- does that make sense? By the way, I know no one's doing that on purpose, and no one knows running late like me, all right? Matter of fact, I, I've gone back and forth with, with adjusting to it. And like, oh, people are going to be late. It's going to be weird. It's only a, a, one row here. Let's wait. Let's start. And then we kind of, I, we feed the beast and it goes back and forth. Um, so, move, man, we really want to start at 10 a.m. But guys, I want you in here ready to worship, not just for your own heart, but to make, to make people feel like, okay, I'm, it's normal that I'm here when I'm here, and, uh, and it's not just a time for people to socialize in groups that I'm not a part of yet. Does that make sense? Um, uh, but again... It is what it is. You guys have heard it. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just, this is a cultural problem we're having together. Okay. I'm not blaming any individuals in particular. Um, Another thing that I've thought through that's been hard, uh, man, I think this is a broader thing, but like, I think as a church, by the way, if you're new, it's a weird Sunday to be new. But but as a church, like, I I think we've been pretty inward focused the last year. And honestly, guys, a lot of that was necessary coming out of a pandemic where our mental health, our spiritual health, all that stuff's kind of a, a, was, was a mess, for so many of us, myself included. It's like, we gotta slow down. We gotta get a time out. We gotta get healthy together. But there comes a point, our health doesn't end with us. Being a, even this Romans 12 thing, being a healthy family shouldn't end with us. It, it, it should be, it, we become salt and light. We're different in a beautiful way to the culture around us. And so at some point, there is space. Not just space, there's, there's a call from God on his church to be on mission, to care about the men and women in this neighborhood who aren't in this room, who are in, your, in your, your office, who aren't in this room? And so do you, do you create space for them in your life? Whether it's like a viewing club or a birthday party or a game night or a play date, do you have space for people who are different than you that don't follow Jesus or are just new to your life? Another one, and again, there's a strategic solution to this, but there's also a big heart issue, and they could collide in a really rough way and I'm still trying to navigate as a pastor, how do new people get in GCs? If you're new to our church, how do you get connected? And so we can come down and go, hey, everyone has to have four spots for new people. Um, but then at the same time, I, I have no desire to force that, you know, like, like I have no desire to do that. But, but man, how do we create space for new people? And again, at the strat level, um, that's on us as leaders to figure out how it could work. But who helps us to do that? Man, that's, that's where we work together as the church. But is your heart ready? Some groups maybe do need to multiply. Some groups have been together for a really long time, and they aren't really interested in new people. Does that make sense? And I go, By the way, similar to the thing about getting here on time, I don't think anyone's doing that intentionally. I don't think anyone's going, I love this. Let's keep it to ourselves. I love, I love that our family is, our church family is pretty healthy. We care for each other really well. When people are hurt, we, we deal with it, we get into it. I love that we're striving to be a healthy family. We should share this family with others. Are we preparing the room, like we did with Olivia? Are we preparing our hearts to share our space with other people? Again, the gospel says that you've been adopted into God's family. You're no longer an orphan. That means you don't have to have a scarcity mindset about relationships. If other people come in, my spot's in question. No, there's a space. We have one father together, and we have a bunch of brothers and sisters. And we want to welcome people in, though. And by the way, guys, I don't. I, I know people think like I'm an extrovert. I, I I find it awkward to talk to people I don't know. Uh, I've had a million funny stories at our church where I'm just awkward. I'm like, I, I want you to feel safe. I don't want to ask too many questions. But I want to, you know, and, and again, I'm used to bachelor convos. I'm like, what's, what's going on? I was at, at a party the, uh, like two months ago with Carlo. And I started talking to this girl know the well. I was like, hey, so what's going on? What's, what's hard right now? What's good right now? And, and Carlo was like, do the sentence question. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun, man. She got into it. it was fun, but like, it was just funny. Uh, I, I, um, whatever. It's, it's hard for me. So I, I don't hear me like coming down hard on this, But I think it's an area I'm calling us all to grow in together. And so I think that impacts a couple different areas. But do we even want that at a heart level? Because Jesus wants that. He doesn't want to just keep this for us. Uh, He wants us to to share it. Which leads to my last point. This is the shortest one. Um, I didn't set my timer, you guys, so I'm sorry about that. It it could have been short, and then I looked. I was like, I don't really know. Um, Number four, how is hospitality possible? Again, family, we can only live lives of welcome to strangers or even People of the world say it should be enemies when we remember remember the fact that we have been welcomed in. Jesus came looking for us. We didn't go looking for him, and he received us. One scholar describes the hospitality of God this way. Throughout the saga of history, God consistently initiates relationships. He is a gracious host constantly welcoming in wayward sinners who deserve his wrath, a people whose only hope is that he would show them undeserved hospitality. If there has ever been a stranger in need, someone completely excluded and hopeless, fully dependent on the grace of another, that is us. We were out in the cold, victims of our own foolishness, freezing to death from the coldness in our own hearts. And all throughout history... All throughout the story of Scripture, God opens the door, rescues us, and welcomes us back into relationship through sheer, inexplicable grace. To be a Christian is to be welcomed in by someone way different than you. Into a party, into a feast, into a family you don't deserve to get into. And so right now what I want to do is take communion. I'll call Ruth and Carlo up here. And as we take communion, I want you to contemplate the welcome of Jesus to you. He welcomed you in when you were far, far away at a heart level. But he welcomes you all the way in, and then he eats with you. One of the things you see throughout the gospel is Jesus eats with people. He says, I'm friends, in that culture, I'm friends with the worst of the worst. Tax collectors, prostitutes, on and on it goes. You and me, we continue that story if we're honest with ourselves. And so right now, um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for communion. And as I do, I want you to consider this welcome. Meet the the lights, yeah. Jesus, I thank you that you're, you're kind to us. I thank you that you do, you are a Savior who welcomes in people that have no business being at your party. It's so funny because you lived out your own, your own call in Luke 19. Like, like, we couldn't repay you. We could never repay you. But you invited us in anyways. You haven't come to entertain us. You've come to seek, seek and save the lost. And the way you demonstrated that in your physical life is, is you came eating and drinking. tables with. Right now, as we come to to this table, would we be reminded that you love to eat with us? You love to feast with us. God, would we see the people around us as people who could be family? Would Would we treat strangers as friends? Would we get to see friends become family? I think you, you modeled that better than anybody. You knew how to be in the world and out of the world. You knew how to get close to really messed up people, and, and they were blessed when they walked away. You weren't defiled. We live in a culture where so many people are lonely and hurting and depressed and anxious and afraid. They don't know where they belong. They're searching for spaces to belong. Space of belonging and identity, and God, I just pray that people would find in, in you, Jesus, the truest identity. identity they can ever gain or achieve or lose. Identity that's secure, a, a love that's consistent. And so Lord, would that happen through us? But first, we remember. and get hugged, and hugged, and hugged, and kissed, and kissed, and kissed. Jesus, you're so good. You're so kind. You receive us in our sin, in our mess, in our pain, in our confusion, in our insecurity, in our fear. And you love us all the way. So Jesus, we thank you that you lived that perfect life on our behalf, you died, that we deserved. You rose again in victory so that we might be welcomed in to your family. Not no longer estranged, no longer strangers, no longer enemies, but brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. It's all because of you.